Alrighty, I pressed the button and I am recording. Want to go ahead and read the thing? Alright. I am going to go ahead and read the thing. On a March night in 1870, Sheriff Oliver Ballard of Harrisonburg, Louisiana, was roused from his bed by a mob at his front door. The mob, angry, shotgun-wielding men from across the parish, were not there for Ballard, but for the three prisoners he'd arrested that afternoon. In the middle of the night, the house was dark and quiet and smelled of a late dinner. Rubbing sleep out of his eyes, Ballard ordered the crowd to disperse. They refused. They had come, someone screamed, for the Jones boys. The sheriff shouted back that they were prisoners. He himself had formally arrested the three men, and they would stand trial in Harrisonburg as soon as possible. The law would settle the matter of the untimely death of St. John Richardson Liddell, not a lynch mob. Ballard had barely finished his statement when the mob surged up his porch and into his house. The people inside, relatives of Jones and members of the sheriff's family, were roughly awakened and ushered outside as the armed men began to ransack the house room by room, shouting for the Joneses. Soon enough, Charles Jones was found and shot as he attempted to escape. So was his son, William. And someone happened to see the third man, Cuthbert Jones, running away from the house and toward the river, where he flung himself in and promptly disappeared. An hour or so after the attack began, the mob dispersed, satisfied with their work. Three days ago, Charles Jones had shot St. John Liddell. Now he and two of his sons had paid for it. After thirty long, bloody years, the Jones-Liddell feud was finally over. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events and their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, adjunct professor of long-running family feuds here at Relative Disasters University. And I'm her brother Greg, vice president of violent disagreements between unpleasant people at Relative Disasters Corporation. And thank you so much for that horrifying story, Greg. Uh, today we're going to be taking a look at the very long-running and extremely violent feud between the Jones and Liddell families, who are neighbors on adjoining plantations in Catahoula Parish in Louisiana. Uh, we should acknowledge a couple things at the outset of this episode. First, we will be spending our time in this discussion in the antebellum, Civil War, and Reconstruction-era American South, which yeah. are each really difficult, kind of fraught times uh, for different reasons. Yeah. And we aren't going to deep dive into the various social and political and war factors that affect how the story plays out. So we're doing some broad strokes here. Yeah. Second, uh, we should also probably acknowledge at the outset that there are no innocent victims in this story. Sure. So Jones and Liddell are both wealthy white men who profit off the labor of enslaved people at their plantations. In addition to that, they're both really, really awful. <laughs> Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> They're both known, and the research that I did really supports the idea that they are violent, nasty people yep. who married violent, nasty people and raised violent, violent nasty, nasty children. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And because they're rich, and this is the antebellum South. They profit very well off of this, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a profit scheme. They get away with a lot of violence, and they make money off it. They do super well for themselves by being horrible. Where's Where's the lesson in that? Where's the lesson? Well, the lesson in that is that they're probably not, not doing too well now. This story is all about how being terrible will get you. 
Yeah, eventually. Uh, and Liddell might come across as a little more sympathetic just because most of the information about the feud comes from his memoir and yeah. records. And because a lot of the press really sympathizes with him. Yep. But everything I was able to dig up suggests that they're both awful. Everybody's equally horrible. You don't need to feel bad for anyone. Nope. You know, I, I prefer the disasters where, you know, something really bad happens and then mm -hmm. we have people who rise up and help or rescue people. And this is not that. This is just two patriarchs of awful families being awful to each other for... 27 years between the beginning and the end. I mean, you could you could argue that it goes on for much longer and people do because the children kind of carry it on a little bit we should start with the goose we no no we can't <laughs> we can't start with the goose uh so some background. let's back up a minute and start with saint john richardson liddell yeah. and charles jones yeah. isn't that such a rich guy named saint john Richardson? yeah Liddell? yeah it, it's bizarre to be named saint john but you know, it, it, he certainly didn't live up to his namesake. No, and in fact, he was not living up to his namesake as early as teenagerhood. Um, his parents send him to West Point, yeah. and he flunks out for, quote, lack of discipline and gross violation of regulations, which I can only imagine huh. is something extremely horrible. Usually that's just like a rule breaker thing. So, you know, like they'd kick somebody out for smoking in the dorms for that, or they'd kick somebody out for like stabbing a fellow student for that. It's really hard to tell just from that, especially in this time period. I mean, we're talking the 18, what, 20s at that point? Yeah, this would be the 1820s. And, you know, you have to believe because his parents are so wealthy and so influential, it yeah. had to be something pretty bad for him to get kicked out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no worries, he fails upward. <laughs> <laughs> in his early 20s daddy buys him a plantation yes and what did he name this plantation ella so he calls it lanada is it lanada or yanada it's that, no it's lanada it's that double l oh gosh maybe yanada we'll just call it, we're gonna call it lanada for this episode because we honestly don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced okay thank you and and he built this plantation this wasn't like you know his daddy bought him a plantation he went out there found the land bought the land for him built the plantation for him bought the enslaved people for him mm -hmm. because he was the second largest slaveholder in the catahoula parish with 115 enslaved people that's a lot that's a you lot you can make a lot of a lot of a lot of money off that amount oh, of yeah. labor and he did and jones owned 101 enslaved people so What's the difference between 14 people? They're both the largest landowners in Catahoula Parish. And they live five miles from each other down the river. Like, that's it. They hate each other, and they are basically neighbors. They actually do have adjoining, because their properties are so huge, yeah. they are very close to being adjoining in some areas, which I think drives them both crazy. Yep. Uh, so Lanada is in Catahoula Parish, which is in northern Louisiana. It's on a very rich piece of land where several rivers converge on the Black River. And the reason why it's so rich is because the floodwaters have been bringing, you know, uh, river soil into onto the land. It's this incredibly fertile area. Yep. You can grow a lot. You can make a lot of money. Yep. So when the plantation gets off the ground, uh, Liddell marries a very connected young lady named Mary Metcalf Roper. Oh, yeah. And they get started on <laughs> raising children and continuing to build up Lanada. So though Liddell is economically and socially very successful by his late 20s, 
he's also constantly in debt. Yeah. And every time he digs himself out a little, he buys another piece of property or has another baby. Yeah. He's struggling a little bit, but you are not going to see that from the outside. Yeah. No. From the outside, he looks like an incredibly successful plantation owner. Right. Uh, so let's go down the river and beat Mr. Jones. Yeah. I, I do think it's worth pointing out that while Liddell was at West Point, mm-hmm. uh, he became personal friends with future president of the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis. Isn't that weird? And that will come back later. <laughs> Such a small world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Mr. Jones is born in Ireland around 1815. He immigrates to the States with his parents as a child. He bounces around Kentucky for his young adulthood, and then somehow, and in the contemporary press, there's this heavy insinuation that this is through underhanded means. <laughs> He's able to get a land grant patent for a plantation called Everly. Okay. And right after that, he buys another one across the parish called Troy. Uh-huh. Did you come across Troy? I did. Troy is gross. Yep. Yep. How do we describe how Troy is gross? Because I think it's worth pointing out just how... It's layers upon layers of of exploitation. Yeah. And... Both plantations are basically just these hugely exploitative environments where, uh, you know, there are records of people being worked to death. There are records of enslaved people having their children sold away from them, mm-hmm. having couples uh, split up so that one would work harder than the other to get a few moments with the other, like... And I understand, you know, historically, that's a common practice. All of those things are common practices. But we're not talking about everybody else. We're talking about these guys today. So, yeah. And gross. across the antebellum south, these are not unusual plantations. No. They're not unusually large. They're not unusually profitable. They're kind of run of the mill. Yeah. So the things that we see on both plantations are kind of yeah. not extraordinary. It's the evil of banality. Everybody else was doing exactly the same thing. Mm. Anyway. But they're all so terrible. Okay. <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> so when Jones gets his land grant and moves to Everly, he's kind of an outsider. He's a Catholic, um, yeah. which is unusual in the area. Yep. And although he becomes very rich very quickly, he never really fits in. Yeah. And he also has an extremely hard time getting along with everybody. I mean... Uh, even his own family. <laughs> His wife sues him at one point. His wife. What? I missed that. Uh, it was a property dispute, and somehow they ended up in court. With his wife. Uh, not divorce court where they should have been, but regular court. Wow. They found for Laura, his wife, so. Nice. <laughs> what the marriage was like after that. Okay, so, so he got taken to court by his wife and lost to her. I mean, she had to have known she had a strong case if she was going to bother suing him. I'm just him, thinking of, right? like, of the courts of the time. That's mm. incredible. A wife suing her husband and winning? That's unheard of. That's He must have done something bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't find any details. You know I looked. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he's that kind of guy. His own wife sues him. Cool. That's the kind of guy that Charles Jones cool, is. Cool, 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 cool. And these guys have some things in common. They're both incredibly short-tempered. Yeah. They both love buying property. And they both have a bunch of kids. Their property's almost like a butt, and they hate each other. Right. So when the Jones and Liddells have to pinpoint the beginning of this feud, sometimes it begins with a stabbing or an insult, and sometimes it begins with a goose. Yeah, let's do the goose first, because that's the funnier one. It's my favorite. Ah, Liddell has geese. (laughs) He loves his geese. Yep. 
remember their properties are very close. The geese are not in a cage or anything. Nope. I don't you don't keep geese in a cage, do you? Are uh, they free range? Some some people do. Uh, it's it's really really hard because geese are are surprisingly strong, and uh, they can get really aggressive. Uh, geese are actually mm-hmm. strong enough to like break somebody's arm if if they feel like that's something that needs to happen. Interesting. And yeah, don't don't mess with geese. They 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 look like large friendly ducks, and they are not. They are extremely territorial animals. And yeah, usually the way, especially mm-hmm. at that time in the 1840s, uh, the best way to raise geese was to have hatchlings set up a nest for them that you knew they would return to, give them lots of food so they would keep returning to it. And then when it was time to kill them and eat them to make sure that the other geese didn't, you know, see you walking off with them. Mm. Yeah, geese were pretty free range. I think we can assume since Liddell took obsessive good care of his property that they were really fat geese. And uh, he was hoping to make some money off them. Yep. Uh, One day they wander over to Jones's property and someone cooks and eats them. Yeah, because... You know, if you have a very large, fat goose walking up to you, I mean, that's dinner. Liddell is furious. Now, these guys are in the same social circle, so they get invited to the same parties. Right. At a party after the goose incident, Jones makes a toast that Liddell finds insulting. (laughs) So instead of drinking his wine, he tosses it out the window. And I have to imagine he does this very dramatically. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Lots of staring right in his eye as he throws it out the window. Uh, so as you do, uh, a few months later, Jones stabs a close friend of Liddell's. Okay. He said that there was an insult involved. Okay. And this is kind of the first time that we see Jones's kind of familiarity with the legal system because he gets off real easy. Huh. He goes to jail. There's a trial. He's found innocent. Uh, when he comes home, Liddell starts a rumor that Jones is paying off the judges uh, in the parish, which, to be fair, would not be completely out of character. Sure. Uh, so the dynamic that we have now, the feud is getting going. Liddell is kind of a gossip, and Jones is violent, right? Liddell starts rumors, Jones stabs people. Yeah. So it all comes to a head in April of that year. Now, the piece of property separating Everly and Lanada Plantation was up for sale. Sorry, it was up for sale in 1845. They both try to get it, although I don't know why. (laughs) They want to be direct neighbors. One could own more than the other, I guess, or or maybe just one was trying to buy it so the other one couldn't. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, So neither of them managed to get it. It's bought by a couple from Mississippi. Oh, no. Eliza and Philip Nichols. And they did not know what they were getting into, did they? No, they sure didn't. Uh, The Nicholsons made friends with the Liddells right away. Eliza Nichols actually tutors one of the Liddell kids, and they start going to parties together. Okay. This makes Charles Jones angry. He starts making remarks about Eliza's virtue to their other neighbor. Yeah. And yeah. you, you just don't do that, uh, especially not in this society. Yeah, not above a certain social stratum. Yeah. Like, people get killed over stuff like this. And somebody nearly did. <laughs> we all know how seriously Ugh. people take this. Eliza stews over this, and she and Liddell stew over it together. And you kind of get the impression that Liddell encourages her to put an end to the nonsense. Yeah. Uh, to confront Jones. Yep. 
And so they go together to confront Jones, but instead of talking to him... I mean, why would you? At this point, he said nasty things. Sure. She takes a gun out of her pocket and, and shoots, shoots him, him in the face. In the face. <laughs> so Mrs. Nichols shoots Jones in the face with a pistol. And Liddell immediately is like, oh, I had no idea she was going to do this. And the thing yeah. is, it injures Jones. It does not kill him. And, of course, right. Jones puts the blame on Liddell instead of Mrs. Nichols because he's already started the rumor that they're improperly involved. Mm -hmm. So he goes after Liddell publicly, mm -hmm. and then tension starts to escalate because while Jones is recovering, the Jones family start plotting revenge. This is one of the points where you almost feel sympathetic towards the Joneses because Eliza Nichols never faces any consequences sure. for shooting a man in the face. No. And I think it's probably easier for them to blame Liddell for this than the Nicholses. Sure. But the whole the incident puts the whole area in an absolute uproar. So this is all over the papers. Everybody has an opinion. Oh yeah. People start and this is where people sides. really start to choose sides, yeah. exactly. And the Liddells and the Jones start stocking up on guns and ammunition and fortifying their plantations. Mm -hmm. And then Jones and his wife leave. <laughs> Honestly, this is the only... Okay, it's not the only smart decision they ever make, but it is definitely the, a smart decision yeah. at this point. Uh, they, uh, they kind of disappear in the night, they go actually, to Ohio. which is also a good decision. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Uh, they go to Ohio and they stay there for the next four years, yep. having kids and making money. Yep. Uh, and they probably should have stayed there, but Charles Jones just can't let it go. And while they were there, it's not like they moved out of the plantation. They still owned the plantation. They were still running mm -hmm. the plantation. They were just doing it from Ohio. They hired people to run it and they, I think, rented out the house. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, so they're still definitely in the neighborhood. They're just not in the neighborhood. They're just not physically there. Right. And Liddell starts telling everybody that Jones is sending him uh, death threats. Yes. And, you know. By letter. Maybe he was. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but if, if somebody is literally writing you a letter saying, I'm going to come and kill you. You hang on to that letter and show it to people as proof, right? You don't just go around saying it, right? Like, yeah. maybe I just don't understand antebellum self-social customs. Maybe it's rude to show somebody the I'm going to kill you letter. <laughs> I, 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 don't I think this. it's all about honor, to be honest. God. I think uh, Liddell thinks he's, or pretends that he's doing the honorable thing by not, you know, sharing the correspondence right, with the law. Right, he's sure. just, like, telling people. Yeah. That's much better. <laughs> and we see that a lot with Liddell. It's a major part of his character yeah, that he yeah. he insinuates a lot. He insinuates a lot, and he always tries to paint himself as martyred. He always yes, tries to... Yes, you see this all through his memoir. He plays the injured party very, very well. You know, I was mm -hmm. simply trying to help a friend, and then this awful thing happened. I mean, which is how people justify things to themselves. Exactly. I don't think it's it's... You know, it's just on a scale that most of us are not used to because yeah. he has all this money and he has all these social connections. Okay, so Charles Jones just can't let it go. In 1852, he and Laura and the children move back to Everly, and Charles Jones brings Richard some new Pryor friends. With him. Now, unfortunately, this is not the fun Richard Pryor. Uh, Bummer. I that would have been a good movie. This is a, a Richard Pryor who uh is is he actually like a wanted man at this point or is that just something that got spread around it's really unclear because 
the newspapers report on rumors. Okay, yeah. So one will say he is, and one will say he's not, and another one will say he's like a hired assassin, exactly. and another one will say he's more of a bodyguard, and it's really hard to tell. This Richard Pryor was uh, essentially a, a professional tough guy. Like, if he had mm-hmm. been, you know, in the 1930s, he probably would have been like a private eye or a bodyguard. So when Jones comes back to the Black River with Pryor in tow, that sort of escalates the situation. Right. And then the killing starts. <laughs> to be fair, there is some tension leading up to the killing. So he comes back with Pryor and he is also, you know, his family is welcoming him back. His friends are welcoming him back. Yep. They're all kind of taking sides at this point. And the, and yeah, the town getting... is still like split. The, right. the community is still very much, you know, factionalized here. Yeah, and we'll see this throughout. There's nobody who likes both of them. No. There, there are very, very few people who are able to keep their noses clean and stay out of it. Mm. Most people are either at least nominally on one side or the other, even though they're not, you know, taking up arms. Liddell stocks up on guns, oh, yeah. and Liddell gets very, very jumpy. Yep. About three months after the Joneses come back from Ohio... He notices that Richard Pryor and more of Jones's local supporters are following him <laughs> and like jumping out at him from behind trees. Sure. And yeah, showing up in town where he's not expecting to see them. It's all very like, like he never has evidence. He never goes to the police. He's just talking about it. Exactly. Right. So what Liddell does is he just like hangs out on his plantation and. He's so, or he says that he's so nervous and afraid of what Jones is up to that he just ambushes and kills two of Jones's people as they drive past his property in a buggy. Now, he's not close enough to see who he's shooting at, but he still feels completely justified. Yeah. So this is, this is June of 1852. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the people in town... Uh, by the name of Samuel Glenn, had made public threats against the Liddells. And um, Liddell had had somebody tell him that both Glenn and Richard Pryor were in, were in town and were going to go after him. And so mm-hmm. he ambushes Glenn and another man on the road. The problem is the other man was not Richard Pryor, uh, it was another one of Liddell's neighbors, a man named Moses Wiggins, who was actually one of the people mostly trying to stay out of it. <laughs> oh, God. And so he kills both men. Yep. And admits that he killed both men, but claims... Oh, yeah, he turns himself in. Oh, yeah. and But he says that he mistook Moses Wiggins for Richard Pryor. And so he gets arrested for murder... And everybody's like, no, this is totally justified because, you know, they've been making threats. I think I'm just going to leave it at he he hires two well-established lawyers from out of town. Mm. And uh, there are two grand juries, but he still gets acquitted in 1854. And then phase two happens. (laughs) So after the trial is over and Liddell comes home... Jones has a lawyer draw up a document saying that he will no longer acknowledge Liddell in any way and he'll stay a certain distance away and so forth. Yeah. Liddell refuses to sign this. Okay. Uh, And they make a show of staying away from each other. Yeah. But by now the two families absolutely loathe each other. I have a quote for you from the Savannah Morning News describing the feud in the years leading up to the Civil War. As far as could be, 
the Liddells and Joneses were kept apart. They traveled by understanding on different boats. In spite of these precautions, an armed neutrality could not always be preserved. Sometimes members of the Jones faction would unexpectedly meet members of the Liddell faction. When these meetings occurred, weapons were instantly drawn and the shooting began. Jeez. It might be on board a crowded boat in a New Orleans barroom, or on the high road to church or a frolic. It didn't matter. What? They were always armed to the teeth and always promptly pulled and fired. Naturally, a good many people were killed in this vendetta. Sometimes innocent persons in a crowd got a bullet in the arm or leg or through his heart. That's newspaper writing yeah, that's, that's <laughs> from the 1880s. And in those days, you know, getting a bullet in the leg or the arm might be a death sentence because sure. gangrene and everything else. But this is where, like, people have very different ideas of how many deaths were involved in this feud. Yeah. It's as low as six and as high as... 18. The numbers are really malleable because if someone Gets who supported shot. Jones yeah, exactly. kills someone who supported Liddell, like, they could be fighting over something else. Yep. It could be totally unrelated, but... You know, the papers would pick it up and say, oh, this is a Jones-Liddell thing. And then, of course, things would get even more heated. So it's a mess. It's a very violent, very uncomfortable mess. But then things quiet down because another very loud, violent, uncomfortable mess breaks out. And that's the American Civil War. Yeah. Uh, both Liddell and Jones are enlisted as Confederate officers. Uh, let's let's just footnote that as rich white men with a vested interest in keeping their economic <laughs> system the way it is. Yeah, there is course, that. There is that. Of course, Jones and Liddell immediately enlist. So Liddell is commissioned to serve as a staff officer, and then uh, he's in command of a division. Mm -hmm. He was promoted. All the way up to Brigadier General by the end of the war. Yeah, he does great. He, he does he really quite well. finds his niche. Whereas yeah. Jones does a lot less well. He, he was second in command of the 17th Volunteer Louisiana Infantry, but he was mm -hmm. shot uh, fairly early on in the war and had to return home. So, uh, And before he returned home, he earns a reputation for... <laughs> <laughs> for being a jerk. <laughs> Yeah, well, he, for being the terrible. quote is, he is not renowned for his courage or talents. He is not beloved by his men. Yeah. One of his soldiers writes home to his wife, Colonel Jones was in command, but did not seem disposed to expose his precious life any more than he could help. I mean... It's so passive-aggressive. I love it. He's got a lot to go home to, you know? He's got he's got a lot of money. Why would why would he risk his life, right? That's for, I mean... That's for other people. Yeah. This whole story is about other people. Oh my god. <laughs> to be honest. So much. It's so aggravating. Uh, during the war, one of Liddell's sons, uh, Willie Liddell, uh, was killed at Perryville and Stones River. Yep. And he was 16 at the time. And so Liddell asked to be transferred. Uh, and <laughs> this is great because he went up the chain of command for it. Mm -hmm. And they told him no. But... Remember how Liddell made friends at uh, at West Point? Yes, he did. So he knows the new president of the Confederacy. And he personally writes to Jefferson Davis. And Jefferson Davis turns around and, and gives him a commission where he's commanding uh, troops closer to home. Yeah. Uh, also. Uh, which is a good thing because his plantation is falling apart. Yeah. Uh, he gets himself into a lot of hot water by calling out other officers and Confederate leadership, mm -hmm. uh, including Jefferson Davis and uh, General Braxton Bragg. Um, 
both of whom he was classmates with at West Point, and he publicly criticized both of them, which was a, a, a big deal. Sure. And the other interesting kind of pivot that he makes during the war is at the very end, he kind of realizes that the South is losing. Yeah. And it, if that happens, he's worried he's going to lose Lenata. So he actually becomes a proponent of emancipation. Yeah. He writes a letter to Edward Sparrow, who is the Confederate senator from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And he says basically in the letter that, look, the war, we're not going to win the war. We should emancipate the slaves, not because it's the right thing to do, mind you, but because if we emancipate them, we might be able to get a foreign government to assist us. Because the big stumbling block for securing foreign assistance, (laughs) especially from Great Britain, which they were really trying to do, uh, is the fact that Great Britain would not support them because they had enslaved people. And so his... yeah. Yes, he pivots to emancipation, but it's more out of um, practicality than any real belief that anyone is created equal. Oh, yeah. I mean, the other part of the emancipation argument in his letter is that he thinks that emancipation would force enslaved people into the Confederate army because they're suffering massive losses at this time. And if you just emancipate all of these people... Of course they're going to go fight for you. It's like a really horrible draft idea. Yeah, it is. When the war is over, Lanada is destroyed. The levees yeah. have broken. The land is flooded. Of course, emancipation means that the enslaved people are no longer enslaved. He no longer yep. has helped to work the land. And I think really the key to understanding Liddell's character and actions is his obsession with Lanada. Yeah. And I don't use the word obsession lightly. No. The records that he kept show that he's involved in every single aspect of the plantation. And he just, like his diaries, his letters... He's worrying over it and fussing over it just constantly. Yeah. This is his life, much more so than his wife or his children. And uh, Lenata does not love him back. No. Right? At this point, it's underwater. It continues to flood. The crops fail because he's trying to plant them himself and with hired help at this yeah. time. His loans come due. He can't pay yeah, them. Yeah, he's in he's massive deeply debt. in debt. Exactly. And he's still playing the part of the wealthy planter. He's financially ruined. Even if Lenata hadn't been... Uh, physically ruined he -hmm. no longer has free labor and he cannot borrow money because the only banks that are lending remember all of the banks in the south have folded so the only Mm -hmm. banks that are lending are northern banks who will only lend to southern institutions at incredibly high interest rates and so he finally has to he's finally forced into selling lanada at public auction. Well, before we get to that... Because yeah, what happened with uh, Jones? <laughs> <laughs> the end of the Civil War, Jones has recovered from his injury. He heads back to Everly, uh, but he's able to hang on to his land yep. and most of his money. So at the end of the war, Liddell is ruined. Jones is doing very Jones well. Jones is fine. And uh, so when Liddell has to put Lanada up for auction... He knows he has to sell it. <laughs> He does not want to sell it to Jones. Well, that's the thing. Because, see, it's a public auction, and Jones mm-hmm. knows that he can't just show up at the auction and bid on it. So what what he did was he started to negotiate with somebody else, and that somebody else would, would do the actual purchasing, but Jones would acquire it. Mm-hmm. Liddell finds out. He was mad. He sends a letter to Jones that says, you can't have my property, 
the graves of my dead family are on this property. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's sort of like, you know, one of us will be dead before you get this kind of a deal. Yeah, this is where it gets very Shakespearean. Oh, God. Yes. I mean, we were leading up to that, but this is where it goes. You're like, this is not going to end well for no. anyone. No. At this point. No. Nope. Uh, so he absolutely cannot stand the thought of Jones owning Lenata, and he uses his wife's connections to hang on as a leaseholder. Yes. Which infuriates Jones. It ruins the sale. Yep. And it infuriates them both, really, because now Liddell has to pay a lot of money to keep living in his own house. Yeah. That he can't He's afford. still in debt. Yeah, at all. Right. And his crops keep failing. And he can't hire people. He can't hire people. He's trying to... Pay. <laughs> that was the other... Did you see where he was trying to pay the hired hands in essentially script? Did you see this? Yep. Liddell dollars. Liddell... Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He's like... The, the... I mean, if you don't have American dollars, why not make why your own? Why not make your own? I... God. Well, they start suing each other. Oh, God. Yeah. So this goes on for a couple years. Because this is what and... people of high moral character do. They sue each other and spread rumors and stab each other. God. I mean, we've really covered all the bases yeah, here. Yeah, we're doing great. Uh, <laughs> so in February of 1870, Liddell gets on a steamer heading for, to New Orleans for a business trip. Charles Jones and two of his sons, William and Cuthbert, get on the same steamer. It's not clear how planned this was. I read about five different versions of this story. Here's what I have is that the, the captain knew that Jones was also planning to get on the steamer. And so he told mm -hmm. Liddell and Liddell uh, told him to send word to Jones that he shouldn't get on the boat. And then when he got this news, Jones gathered up his sons and took off by horseback to the essentially the next loading dock down the river. Right. But at any rate, they all end up on the boat together. And Liddell is And they can't be trusted in lunch. the same room together. <laughs> yep. He's having his lunch. Uh, and then, again, there are conflicting reports about what happened next. Some people say there was an argument. Some people say the Joneses just walked right into the dining room and shot Liddell as he was eating his lunch. Some people say Liddell had a gun yep. and he tried to shoot them. So it was self-defense. There's no, there's, no, um, there's, there's no consistent source on who drew first and who fired first. But the end result is that everybody had their guns out. And the three Joneses killed Liddell. Yes. Liddell is definitely dead. Very dead. Uh, but remember, nobody on this boat is an impartial witness. Right. So there's really no way to know what exactly happened. The upshot was Jones definitely killed Liddell. Yep. So Jones and his sons get arrested by Sheriff okay, Ballard. Okay, they don't get arrested. They turn themselves in. Sheriff Ballard is a friend of theirs. Yes. Uh, and then just given the amount of times that... Liddell and Jones have spent in court, in jail, going on trial with nothing ever really happening to them. Yeah. You can kind of see the town's sentiment. You know, the Liddell supporters are angry that he's been murdered. And they also see signs that the law is not going to treat this in a way that is going to let them feel better about it. Sure. They've been arrested. They're on house arrest. They're staying in the house with the sheriff. Come on. And both, both men at this point have proven that they can beat the charges, no matter what the charges are. They've all got great lawyers. They know which way this is going. So Moses Liddell actually mm -hmm. takes a shot at Jones uh, when Moses is on a steam... He's on a steamer that goes sort of by the sheriff's house, and Jones is walking down by the river. He just pulls his gun out and starts shooting at him. He misses. 
But that's the point that we're at. Yeah, that's the point that we're at. Like on site, we're 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 slapping leather. Drive by shootings. Like, exactly. Yeah. Well, steam by shootings, but yes. Steam by shootings. Float by <laughs> shootings. Anyway. <laughs> I like flip by shootings. I mean, how far away were they too? Because if like this is the you know the steamboat, either he's firing all the way across the river, or he's like two feet away and still misses the guy. It, it's hard to tell. You know, they're all so armed. Yeah. And they're all so everybody's ready walking to shoot around each other. with guns, and everybody is willing to draw at a moment's notice. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just not going to end no. well. You know it's not going to end well. So the mob forms. The mob forms. They have a point. Uh, the Joneses are not going to have a fair trial. No. Uh, and they kill William Jones and Charles Jones. But Cuthbert survives because they can't find him. He either throws himself in the river or he hangs on to the window ledge of the second story by his fingertips so that I think can't both, Greg. <laughs> Well, he's either he dangles hiding... himself out the window yeah, and then runs to the river. <laughs> it's, is, is he the quantum Jones? He is, he is in both states at the same time. I mean, it would not surprise me. And then those deaths are it. The, the feud That's it. Is, is squashed at that point. You know, there's both, nobody left. Both patriarchs have been killed. And, and the kids, fortunately, and thank goodness for this, the kids don't continue it. They're not friends. But they're not shooting each other anytime they see each other. Thank goodness. Most of them are younger than the goose incident. Yeah. So they don't really have that kind of hatred to hang on exactly. to the way their parents do. Exactly. Uh, Mrs. Jones stays in the area. She founds Jonesville. Yes. Jonesville, Louisiana. Yep. Uh, some of the Liddells move away to no- northern Louisiana. Yep. And uh, the family struggles for a while, but Liddell had a lot of life insurance when he died. Did you read about this? Yeah. He had a large policy. He really did, which I you gotta you gotta wonder if maybe he saw some in this coming. I don't know. Uh so with that money they're able to move away and educate the kids yep. and kind of survive the reconstruction. Moses Liddell actually is very successful. He gets elected mm-hmm. to the Louisiana House of Representatives and President Grover Cleveland made him a justice on the Supreme Court of the Montana Territories. How many interesting cases do you think he heard? Um, how many are more interesting than the life he'd <laughs> led already? Uh, and then on the Jones side of things, Cuthbert Jones also has an interesting career. He meets with Ulysses S. Grant as president. Yep. And Grant appoints him as a consul to Tripoli. I can only imagine that Grant heard this story, read some newspaper clippings, and was like, how do I get this guy as far as away, far from, away from these other people? Tripoli. Can. Tripoli will work. We'll put him Tripoli. in Tripoli. And, and what's, interesting, great. what's interesting is that the Louisiana Democrats throw a fit. Basically, they're like, you have given a foreign diplomatic post to a quote known murderer yeah apparently he was absolutely great as a diplomat well he had some stories he was like you could take this guy out to dinner he was consul to peru and uh he Mm -hmm. finally passes away peacefully in south america in 1905 he dies of old age yeah um pretty good right uh the washington times runs a highly dramatized story about the feud when he dies Under the best possible headline, did you come across this? Oh, yes. Share, 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 share. The last of Louisiana's aristocratic feudists upsets family traditions by dying a natural death. That's the headline. And if that's not the most (laughs) amazing headline, I mean, 
We should have just started with that and worked backwards for this episode. <laughs> I mean... That's fantastic. So at some point, Liddell's memoir is organized and published. 1866 is when he started to write it. I but it's read published parts of after it. his death. Oh, it's very self-aggrandizing. Yeah, it's kind of... I don't know. It made me think that Liddell was kind of a... <laughs> so he's definitely a perpetual victim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he also just, like, seems bewildered at stuff, like... Why does Charles Jones hate me so much? All I did was get him uh, He doesn't face. talk about Charles John Jones much at all no. in the memoir. No. He mostly talks about the war. Yeah. Um, but it's always, you know, he's always forced into these circumstances and he always makes the honorable decision yeah. and he always justifies everything he does. So, you know. The man was certainly the hero of his own story. Uh, so the family papers, the Liddell family papers, go to Louisiana State University's special collection yeah. where they are organized. Uh, there's a finding aid, but no, the documents haven't been digitized. Yeah. Uh, but what has been made available is parts of the plantation log, which is like a day-to-day account of running Lenata. Yep. And they are pretty sobering. It's not something yeah. I would advise that yeah. you read it, for light reading. Anytime that you're talking about human lives as simple transactions, uh, it, it's never a lot of fun to, to, to wade through that. No. But it is it is interesting in terms of what exactly he was spending money on, yeah. why he was so deeply in debt, oh, yeah. his ideas about running the plantation. Because, of course, he thought he was the best planter yep. ever yep. in Louisiana. Yep. Oh, yeah. No, he was... Uh, so it is interesting from that perspective. Interesting guy. So did you read about the 2008 and 2009 reenactments? If you Google this feud, that is one of the first things that popped up, and I was so excited to see it. it, it it's There's not that much to it. It's a reenactment where mm-hmm. they... They have somebody basically narrate, and then they they go running around with guns and and uh, shoot at each other in the places where people were shot and all this other stuff. In period dress, in period, they dressed oh, up yeah, for this. Yeah, in period yeah. dress and and and. But the thing that really grabbed me: Did you see who was involved in the reenactment? I saw that there was like a professional civil war reenactor. Yes, there is, is a professional thinking? civil war reenactor. But also 16 people who are descendants of the Liddells and Jones. Oh, yeah. This was described Holy as cow, a family reunion of sorts yeah. in the article that I read. And and apparently, I was like, <laughs> like I, from what I could figure out, everybody is pretty chill and okay with each other. So that's nice. It sounds like a really fun weekend. It's one of those stories where it's there's great absolutely story. no good guys. There's absolutely no point to any of it and these guys are so rich that you get the sense that they've kind of lost their sense of proportion yeah and that's why they get so upset over geese and toasts and insults exactly and it's so it it is kind of satisfying to watch it all implode it's just and they killed each other on a riverboat like can we can we just how louisiana is this (laughs) (laughs) It's great. That is the crazy and convoluted story of the Jones-Liddell family feud. All right. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact-check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disaster at gmail.com. 
Or if you'd like to shame us publicly, why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed this story and the discussion. And please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My brother has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Greg? We are going to be taking a look at the events that led up to the massacre of Jonestown. Well, are we talking about Jonestown or are we talking more about Jim Jones? Well, we're going to be talking about Jim Jones. I think that the disaster was really his his life and everything leading up to Jonestown. Oh, that's an interesting angle, yeah. Because this is somebody who could have gone down as one of the great civil rights leaders and instead became one of the most notorious cult leaders of all time. Yeah. So we're, we're going to be in for a rough ride next episode. That sounds like an amazing disaster, and I can't wait to talk to you about it.